You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, one-fifth of everything we throw in the trash is food waste. But what if we recycled that back into the ground instead? It's kind of like riches to me, you know? I get off on, ooh, I gotta haul these banana peels. I'm gonna feed them to my plants eventually. Plus, Joywave is putting on a Rochester Fringe Festival show this weekend. But lead singer Daniel Armbruster says during the pandemic, music was far from people's minds. This past year, year and a half, put into perspective how non-essential I am, (laughs) you know? All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full-service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. According to the FDA, more food ends up in landfills than any other single material in our everyday trash. And it makes up more than 20% of garbage. My colleague Noelle Evans spoke with people in Rochester and the Finger Lakes about how they're managing to keep their food waste out of landfills. She has this story. Near Monroe Avenue in downtown Rochester, a lush and almost secret garden thrives. It covers more ground than a carriage house, full of herbs like basil, mint, and parsley, with plenty of flowers and berries for the bees and birds. But not everything that grows here is by the gardener's design. The squirrels have been bringing um, peanuts. This is a peanut plant. When it first grew, it had a peanut shell attached to one of the leaves. So I got a few of those in the yard. And this is my compost. That's Giselle Ziegler. She's 71 years old. The compost sits underneath a canopy of foliage. It looks like a pile of mud with leaves and food scraps mixed in. A few rotting potatoes roll to the side. Bits of eggshells stick out along the edges, but it doesn't give off any smell. As Ziegler turns the pile with her shovel, earthworms wriggle from underneath. It's kind of like riches to me, you know? I get off on, ooh, I gotta haul these banana peels. I'm gonna feed them to my plants eventually. Composting is a tradition in Ziegler's family. But for others who want to compost, the do-it-yourself method isn't always practical or appealing. So they take another approach. 12.7. Less than two miles from Ziegler's garden at Cobbs Hill Park is a drop-off site for composters in the city of Rochester. It's a free pilot program run by the city government. Full disclosure, I also compost through that program. It pops up here and at Genesee Valley Park twice a week, Saturdays and Wednesdays. It's convenient for Megan Bosick. She's an elementary teacher at School 15, just up the road from Cobbs Hill Park. I look at my son and I think about all the different ways that our environment, that's my co-teacher, is going to impact us and his life. And, uh, you know, I just would like to teach him good habits for himself, his own body and the earth. And I think this is a good way to model that. Bosick's family is one of a thousand households in the program. From here, their food scraps go to a farm in Seneca Castle, about 30 miles southeast of Rochester. This is where the composting company Impact Earth processes organic waste from the city's pilot program and from paying customers. 
Since January, they've collected over one and a half million pounds of it, which would otherwise just go to a landfill. Ava Labuzetta is an environmental engineer with the New York State Pollution Prevention Institute. She says keeping that stuff out of landfills is crucial. Because when those eggshells and rotten peppers and rake leaves are thrown into plastic garbage bags and shipped off to landfills, that organic material decomposes, but it comes at a price. They break down without oxygen because they're covered with other material in the landfill and they don't have oxygen getting to them. And when that happens, it lets off greenhouse gases. It's mainly methane that gets released, which is about 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere and accounts for about 20 percent of global carbon emissions. Labuzetta says when you're landfilling food waste, you're also kind of landfilling all of the energy and nutrients that went into creating that food. So if you think about like a tomato that's gone bad, when you landfill that, it's landfilling like all of the water that was used to, you know, to grow that tomato, all the energy that went into shipping that tomato from possibly like California to where we are. So when that food is composted instead, she says all those resources, in a way, are recycled back into the environment. The process relies heavily on microscopic organisms, or microbes, which thrive on the various elements within the compost. Things like oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon. While those microbes are enjoying a feast, instead of methane, carbon dioxide gas is released, along with a liquid tea that's rich with nutrients, and what's left is a fertilizing soil. It can take about a year to complete the composting process from start to finish. If it's still getting hot inside, then you know that there's still microbial activity, there's still material to break down. Patience is crucial, because compost that hasn't been fully decomposed or cured by those microorganisms can produce phytotoxins, which are harmful to plants. And without plants, not much life can be sustained. That distinct difference between composting and landfilling is something Thomas Brinson knows well. He works on the composting site in Seneca Castle. And when he goes home, he passes by the Ontario County landfill, about three miles away. Driving 5 and 20, you, you have to drive that area. And sometimes the methane is, is pretty bad. Brinson and two other men clean the buckets and totes that the company uses to transport compost. But he was already familiar with compost at home. The process, the occasional smell that tells you it's time to move it along, which can be kind of pungent, putrid, sometimes with a tangy or bitter afternote. I use it for my plants at home, and they're, they've turned into a jungle, you know, since I started using them, so. <laughs> John, huh? she's recording. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's John Hicks. He's 88 and owns this property. He used to be the regional director of the New York Department of Environmental Conservation. Over the years, he's noticed simple enough shifts away from landfilling, even seasonal waste, like in autumn when the trees become bare. You know, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember, that everybody would rake leaves uh, out by in front of their house and burn them. And there was places you, you just would go through uh, stifling smoke and so forth. That's not going on now. These days, that refuse takes on a new purpose. The leaves and shredded paper are both equal food for the worms. 
Labuzeta says composting could be one of the biggest opportunities to reverse human-made impacts driving climate change. There's so much environmental impact from our food supply chain that recapturing any amount of that and putting it back into use is, I think, would be hugely beneficial. Back in the city, Giselle Ziegler says, while it can be a bit gross at times and even attract critters if you're not careful, it's still better than the alternative. Composting for me is just like a tiny, minuscule, microscopic fix that I can do. So I guess it's a pleasure to me and it's empowering and hopefully I'm not inflicting rats on my neighbors, but it makes me feel good. Noelle Evans is a reporter for WXXI News. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI. And if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. Like bands everywhere, Joy Wave has been forced into virtual exile by the pandemic. But the Rochester rock group reemerges Saturday for its hometown. My colleague Jeff Spivak sat down with lead singer Daniel Armbruster to talk about their upcoming show and what it's been like being a musician during the pandemic. He has this story. It is a beautiful summer afternoon just before the start of the KeyBank Rochester Fringe Festival. Daniel Armbruster is sitting outside Ugly Duck Coffee. Someone walking down the sidewalk waves to Armbruster before going inside. I'm, I'm very much a regular. Coffee is one of the few things the lead singer and main songwriter of the Rochester rock band Joywave can count on these days. The band released its last full album called Possession early in 2020, just in time for the pandemic. It was really disheartening because we spent two years making Possession and then came out March 13th, which was basically the weekend that everything shut down. And it was understandably like no one was thinking about music. Joywave has curated a special concert for its hometown Saturday at the KeyBank Rochester Fringe Festival on the grass-covered lot off of East Main Street. A free show on the final day of the festival starting at 4 p.m. with a couple of national acts, some Rochester friends, and Joywave closing out the night. Possession wasn't the only new album release to struggle through the pandemic. There was a new Kanye West album that came out on Friday. And I said, that's the only album that I can even think of that came out in the past year, like that I can name. And being a musician, if that's true for me, I would imagine that's true for most people who are probably concerned about uh, friends, family. Am I going to get sick? Uh, Am I going to get laid off? Uh, How am I going to find a new job? Some people may have stopped listening. But not everyone. And I, and I have, heard, like, I've gotten so many nice messages from people who are like, you know, I'm a nurse in a COVID ward and, like, the record got me through the year and stuff. And that, that makes me feel amazing because that's people who are actually doing something. Whereas, like, this past year, year and a half, put into perspective how non-essential I am, <laughs> you know? 
Non-essential as he may think he is, Arm Brewster has continued to write and record throughout the pandemic. The band has just digitally released four new songs on an EP called Every Window is a Mirror. Those songs will be a part of Joyboy's next full-length album to be released in February. There's just always ideas happening or music happening or like sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and there's a song in my head and I'm like, well, I have to go into the other room and play this on a guitar really quick. But can a musician live on music alone in the midst of the pandemic? Of course not. I think last night my girlfriend said, you 60% like music, you 40% like hockey, and you don't like anything else. And I was like, that's absolutely correct. Jeff Spivak is the arts and life editor for WXXI News. You've been listening to Earshot from WXXI News. And if you've made it this far, I want to hear from you. Email the show at earshot at wxxi.org and tell us what do you like about it? Or more importantly, what's missing? What stories do you want to hear? This is your local news podcast. And of course, be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date on local news. Find even more at our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.